Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Philman. At The Reason We Learn, we aspire to be part of the solution. The purpose of this show is to take a good, honest, potentially painful look at the way kids are being educated. We know we can do better, and this is where we'll talk about how. Let's learn something. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. Thank you for joining me today for a conversation with Frank McCormick. If this is your first time here, I hope you'll consider subscribing so you can be notified about new content, especially shows like this one. The goal for this channel is to be a meeting place, a town hall of sorts, where people who want to improve education come to hear ideas, share their own, in a place where diversity of thought is not only welcome, but championed. So with that goal in mind, I have asked Frank to come and talk to us about his experiences behind enemy lines as a teacher. He has been on this channel before. We can go back in the archives and find the conversations he's been involved in. We have talked about his experiences as a teacher, and but that was over a year ago. So we're going to catch up with him today and see how things have changed for him. And also he's talked to us specifically about social studies and civics and how it was being taught because that's what he specializes in. Um, he's also a dad. He's also a person who has his own platform, Chalkboard Heresy. And I hope you will take a look at what he's got to offer over on Patreon. We're going to talk about that. And so without further ado, I hope you will join me in welcoming Frank McCormick. Hey. Hey, Deb. Welcome I'm back. back. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I right. So we got to catch up. Tell me what you've yeah. been doing. What's been going on? Oh gosh, where where to begin? So we, um, I think we spoke. When did we last speak? Was it in the summer? Was it in August? Something like that. It was a year ago. It was at least a year ago. I I have to okay. go back and check the exact date. But it was long enough ago that you had like another kind of school year, and we did talk intermittently in there. But going on yeah that that turned out i think so i think what happened is i i came on in the summer and the summer was when i i started my blog and i was just like i'm gonna i'm gonna just start speaking out this year and challenging and pushing back i just didn't realize how far it would go and and the toll it would take on me. Yeah. um you know i i hear about public schools and it's like fortunate son, son plays in my head and the helicopters like flashbacks like, boom, 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 boom. um so yeah wow um so what so what happened basically um i ended up in january um after i spoke at the board meeting uh within the, the next day i sent in my resignation letter um after about a good four or five month fight um not including the summer because I'd kind of exhausted, I think, everything I could do. In a weird way, I I sort of won the battle because they didn't know what to do with me anymore. I mean, I, I was challenging them on social media. I FOIA'd them. Chris Rufo, you know, shared out my website. We exposed all the stuff that was going on. And um, they called me in with their attorney. Is this the, the school office. board or is this the um like the principal of your school? The, the you superintendent. It? The superintendent had, their, had okay. their had their lawyer reach out to me. You need to come report to meet with us. And so I came in and I didn't back down. And I think they were like, um, what? And immediately <laughs> afterwards, 
I'm in the park, go, you know, drive back to school, go to the parking lot. And I make a video and I'm like, just, you know, so here's what happened. And here's what I said. And, you know, just kind of roasted them. And they just kind of were like at the standstill. Um, and I think they just didn't know what to do. So they started to leave me alone. But here's the catch. Uh, former supervisor who was actually on my side, was able to give me information, was like, look, dude, they're coming after you. They're, they're going to get rid of you. They're going to evaluate you out. So it was one of those things where I was on, I, I like this. This is a good metaphor. You know, like in the wild, the old West movies or like the trains, like they're robbing a train and then the bridge is out ahead and they're like trying to get as much money as they can, but jump to the stagecoach. That's where I was like, how much, how much more can I do? I, although I'm setting the train on fire and it's headed <laughs> off a bridge and I've got my wife and kid with me. And so at a certain point I was like, there's an opportunity for a job. And I was like, I was really conflicted. I was like, I, I kind of want to see like what it takes to get fired, but um, I could have lost my teaching license then if they, if they wanted to pursue that. And I didn't want to give them that victory. And also too, my wife, my, my wife's like, so are you just going to ride this off into like into oblivion? With are you going to go to the like, bridge where that it decapitates you? Or are we like at that yeah. point now? <laughs> she's like, cause she's like, cause we depend on you too. So um, I, that's, that's why I like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to give it one last hurrah. And then that's it. And, um, it was, you know, I just, it was one of those things I look back probably to our interview and I think I was very naive about the toll that being kind of like canceled. I was like, I'm ready for it. I can, I can endure it that it takes on you psychologically. Like I was not for a while, I was in a really bad place because as, as stoic as you can try and be when you have your entire social circle turn on you of 12 years and a career you've built for 12 years and it's all just like disintegrate like yes you you have your principles but and and you're standing up for something but it was it was rough i mean there are days i'm like i don't know if i can do this anymore um but i think having people support me that's what i tell people is that really made a difference like people say, like, you know, I, I say, you know, everyone says like, oh, yeah, thank you for your support. But like, I, I would actually tell people like it really helped get me through it because I could at least like after, you know, that me go on Twitter and be like, OK, guys, here's where I have people who like have my back. I'm like, I got someone that, that has my back. Um, or I got people that do. And now um, I'm in the process of pursuing a uh, lawsuit against my school district. I'm meeting with different attorneys. Um, and where I'm kind of trying to find the right one and I've got all the stuff together. And basically the, the big sticking point for me is that, uh, one of the, the board members from their board member Facebook page, which when you communicate from that, that becomes a district position sure. said, I was hate motivated and doing the work of racism, no evidence. So that became, that is Legally, not them though. No, not them. <laughs> yeah, not them. That's that became the district's position right. of an employee with no evidence. I mean, that's defamation. That's career ending. That is. So it's not about, you know, the money. I'm not, I, I kind of want to, you know, maybe they'll, they, I already had a lawyer do some initial consulting and spoke with them. And I want to take this to a judge and I want them to not just monetarily, but I want them to pay for like what they did. And, um, yeah, I fought back and I challenged, but if you look back at where it all started, I mean, I, I wrote a blog, like that's what 
set them off. I wasn't even using my name at that point. It was trial court heresy. And, and they were, I FOIA'd emails uh, from the school district and, you know, found out they were talking about doing a mental wellness check on me because they didn't understand allegory or metaphors. Like that's how stupid some of these people were. They said, he thinks he's a priest. Oh, like, I mean, really? Like, like most people, like almost everyone else, like, you know, and I guess we were kind of, a, I, I like to think that, you know, people that follow us, they're intellectuals to a degree or they're smart people and they got it. I mean, they understood okay. that the metaphor. I was or using. they're at least a, curious. Or they're at least curious, but, but, but they were like interpreting it literally, which I mean, doesn't surprise me. These, these are not the brightest people. And, um, after that, you know, I mean, it's just been, um, it's been trying to then take my, take what happened, kind of take that, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I hate like people, you know, I don't like this idea, like of being a martyr, but like, cause I, I made a decision to, right. to make a sacrifice. Um, right. I actually look someone, I, someone I really admire is like Theo Olson. Oh who, yeah. Uh, because he, I, I always say this, he, you know, when he said to me like, oh, you're, I wish I could have done what you did. I said, yeah, but like you, you did it when no one, when it wasn't cool. I, I, and um, not that, you know, at the time I did it, you know, there's, there's still not very many people have done this, but I said, you know, you didn't have any support. You didn't ask for it. Um, he's someone I really admire. And so I can at least, I mean, part of, but I, I made a decision. I woke up and said, I'm going to, I'm going to expose, I'm going to expose them. Uh -huh. uh, that was originally, I just said, you know what? I'm tired of hiding. But, right. um, behind a pseudonym and writing about education. I just want to put my name out there and they can deal with it. That was my thing. Like they can deal with it. Once they start coming after me, then I was, I, I knew where it was going to go. And I, I kind of had a decision to make. I think it was sometime in September. I was like, okay, yeah, you're going to get fired at some point. So how are you going to use your remaining time? Mm -hmm. And in that remaining time, it was to, you know, blow up the school district. They'll, they'll probably be like, oh, blow up the school district. You know, what are we, we don't know what metaphors are. No, but um, yeah, and then that, that's what I did. And then, you know, um, I, I think, you know, my, it's funny, a lot of people, they, they, they're interested in my story. I think my story is less important than what I can. I, I assess my value as being able to validate what parents instinctively know. Yeah, and that's huge, that was kind though. of what bothered me. Like, that was what bothered me when they were saying, my parents are crazy. I'm like, no, they're not. And that, that gives me, you know, um, I have authority to speak on these things, which drives other teachers crazy, which is why I think I've had some people just relentlessly go after me. But I can, you know, it, it's good for parents to be able to say, you know, there's not a lot of us, you know, but like there's me and Paul Rossi and Tony Kinnan and be like, hey, I at least there's at least these teachers out there who can testify to to what we've observed. Right. And um that's what I'm still trying to do. That's probably what I'll spend the rest of my life doing until this issue is, I mean, you know, for at least the next 10 years, I think this is going to be a long battle because the schools right. are showing no signs of retreating. If anything, they're doubling they're, down. They're doubling down. Yeah. So I think, you know, for the next decade, it's going to be to continue to be like, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't teach for one year, two years. I taught for over a decade yeah. and that what I, what I saw, what I observed, what I participated in at one point in my early years is all a testament to that. And that's what parents need. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, did some, did yeah. some like cool kind of, you know, went on Fox and 
superintendent didn't like that. And then afterwards went on Candace Owens, which was, uh, which is fun, but scary. You know, when you get to that kind of stage, when you get to that level, yeah, you're like, I'm not, you know, I remember being there. I'm like, what am I doing? Where's my, where's my life? I just, you know, a year ago I was like writing lesson plans and, you know, Frank, people were like, who? Well, and you want to make sure too, I would imagine there's a few things I want to respond to that you said, but I'll, I'll yeah. go like back to front. Um, when you get to that level where they, you've got the big players calling you and you know saying, come on and tell us your story. Part of you is really excited to do it because you're like, oh my gosh, a big platform, more people will hear what I have to say. Since what you're trying to be anyway is like the canary in the mine shaft, like you have mm-hmm. all the best intentions, but probably in the back of your mind, I know it would be for me too, would be, um, all right. I need to make sure you don't take this message and just kind of use it for the, you know, publicity or whatever. And then kind of like throw it, you know, to the side because some we've noticed that when people get really big in terms of activism, one of the things that can happen is just like the school system, it becomes almost self-perpetuating. Like Mm -hmm. what are they going to be if they fix the problem? Like if this problem were fixed, if they won, so to speak, then, you know, what would they be complaining about or talking about or elevating or whatever next? So I know for me, it's like, I want to be really precise in my language. I want to make sure that nothing gets, you know, exaggerated or, or misquoted or misstated. So somebody goes back and says, you know, this crazy person said such and such is going on. No, I didn't say that. No, that's not what I said. Right. So, you know, when you go in front of such a big microphone, you're excited, but there's also this like, please accurately render what I'm about to say because we have a golden opportunity to actually solve this problem and I'm in it to solve the problem, not just to broadcast the problem. So that's like the first thing I wanted to respond to. The second thing I wanted to respond to was as you were speaking, all I could think of was the irony, the massive irony of teachers in the classroom. We see them on TikTok periodically, well, every day. And they will say things like my freedom of speech is going to be trampled by this Florida bill, which they've then misnamed the don't say gay bill. It's not, which isn't what it is at all. Like I need to be able to talk about, you know, my life with my students, whatever. And they get a platform and they get the union backing them because they can't express themselves as they would wish about their personal lives and their sexual orientation and their sex lives. And us with third graders. And there's Frank saying, you know, they're teaching a false history to students and they're making me do it. And if I don't do it, I'm going to get fired. And, you know, hey, everybody, please listen. Parents take note. And it's like, you don't have the right to say these things. Like, I'm literally telling the truth about the subject matter that I'm being told to teach. And I'm the bad guy here. You told me I don't have the freedom to do that. And I'm, you know, I should be kicked out. But these guys want to talk sex with eight-year-olds and their freedom of speech is being trampled. So I, I just keep hearing this. Oh, this, Totally. giant irony and then the well, last and i thing wasn't was, even it, it wasn't even in the classroom in my case yeah. i mean i was doing this outside Every, I, I, yeah. I made very sure to i i had to address there, there came a certain point where i kind of had to read a letter to my students it was very generic i said hey guys love me yeah here's don't believe everything you've heard stand up for what you believe it was very generic but you know the only time i was political in the classroom was in my very early years when i was on the left and that was totally acceptable. You know, I came out of the teacher's college, like a little missionary, like all the other teachers, and I'm going to teach them this, and we're going to social justice revolution. And, 
you know, I talk about this in my blog. I'm very honest about it. it wasn't yeah, you until, went like, to work in Waukegan. Waukegan, which is a yeah, you know, lower so you're income. not exactly working in like the rich white district. You know? No, that's and that's that's a, that that's reflective of the missionary mentality I have. Exactly, what a lot of teachers have, and you know, the, the only way I could describe what happened, you know, what changed, it's like a crisis of faith. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, this is a, a fraudulent church. I, I am doing things that are not my responsibility, you know, in terms of, uh, I am taking on a role that shouldn't be taken and started to realize what I was doing was also dangerous. As much as it was celebrated, we all got together like, yeah, we're like, turning our kids into social justice activists. I'm like, maybe that's not such a good idea. And then I, and I, and I stopped and I started being really focused on this was, this was even years before, maybe six or seven years ago. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to give them different, give them both sides challenge devil's advocate in the class, yeah, which expose which them to one new would ideas hope would happen regardless. Right. right? And, and then it was, what, what got the gears in my head turning that I actually had to like say something to the public, like, I, like it wasn't enough to just be that teacher. Who's like, I'm going to be the, the, the kind of outlier Yeah, was in 2020. Um, you know, I saw that as like a, a coming attraction for what could happen. Um, those, those, those kids out there had mostly been radicalized in college and you know, I kind of use what, what, what history teachers like to call the historical imagination. I say, okay, if these, you know, radicalized kids in college out there clamoring for revolution, tearing down our cities, what happens mm -hmm. when, and, and it already has, the radicalism comes to K to 12 yeah. and a generation passes and you have a spark, then you have a real problem. And, well, I mean, um, people need to learn their history of China. You know, it's a, sure. this is what happens when you redwash the curriculum and people are like, Mao, who, you know, and they act like this is, you know, that's ridiculous. I'm like, except there's precedent, except it's happened, except mm -hmm. we know that this is how it happened. Like we could follow the steps and they're almost identical. And, and, you know, that sort of brings me to the last point I want to make about what you said about support and people supporting you and keeping you in it when this is happening. Now, I didn't have this happen to me like Frank, where I was literally in the classroom, but I did have it happen to me as a parent, as like the lone parent trying to fight things. And I was also a tutor and a volunteer. So I was kind of like one foot in, but not like Frank at all. I didn't have the same stake, but zero support for anything I was trying to do to, you know, get parents together, do anything we're talking like 10 years ago. Um, and then doing this work, even you wake up some days and you just, it, especially if you've gotten your kids out of it, right? If your kids aren't in it and you're like, oh, this isn't going to affect me directly like every day. It's really tempting some days to just be like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I taking this abuse? It's, it's painful to wade through the muck and the mud of looking at this material of mm -hmm. knowing what you know. And there's a part of you that just says, I just want to kind of go quietly live my life and hope everybody wakes up and protect my family. And then you realize like, but if I don't say something, right? So what makes the difference for me, and that's what I'm hearing you say, is when I get those messages, those emails, those DMs, the texts, whatever it is, just saying, thank you so much for what you're doing. And whether it's a company with a donation or not, it's just kind of that voice of somebody saying, I wouldn't have known, or I didn't know, or now I'm awake or whatever. And then you're like, 
all right, I, I gotta keep doing something, right? Because you don't, right. you don't, you don't know, and you're, you do feel sort of all alone. And people, when you're listening to Frank, he's telling you he's in a minority, and he is. You know, he can name like on one hand the number of teachers that he personally knows that are doing anything remotely similar, taking these risks. So when you sit there and say, "Well, all these majority teachers can't be wrong," because I hear that they're like, "Well, they're in the minority," and I'm like. Where has that ever happened before? I can't imagine <laughs> another time in history where the minority of people were like, hello, tyranny. I see it coming. It's right there. You know, gosh, that's never happened. Listen to yourselves, folks. Do you like when are majorities right? When have in history, have they been correct? And I mean, I hate to sound like Ibsen, but usually not. They're usually not right. Yeah. And I, and I tell people too, it's not, you know, I don't claim to be prophetic and saying this is going to happen. I, I postulated like this. I say, look guys, you know, I'm speaking to an audience. I said, say there's say a 10% chance what I'm talking about, this type of social revolution. Happens. Right. Yeah. One in 10 odds. Let's say, I'm going to, I said, I'm going to give that. I might think it's a little higher. Maybe I think it's closer to 20, 25. Let's say it's one in 10. Right. I said, if I told you that you know, there's a one in 10 chance your child would die. Wouldn't you be doing everything you could to prevent that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, that that's kind of how I feel uh, from my perspective. I, and I will also say, people don't like to hear this, but they're receptive to it. And I think they know what I'm talking about. There's also the other possibility, which is a counter-revolution that can be every bit as, as brutal and ugly as a leftist revolution because right. people will grow tired of this. And when, when things get bad enough and you see the right push back, it's not going to be good. I, I mean, I've made some, like people think I'm advocating for that. Well, I've made some jokes where like, this is how you get to fascism. It's not that I'm advocating. I'm saying like, Hey, Hey, leftists, keep it, keep it up. If that's like your goal. And by the way, I think for some of them, it is. I, I had a friend who was very far left, and he spoke about being an accelerationist. He wanted this class war to happen. So by his idea, accelerating the conflict would just bring it about sooner. Yeah. And um, pe there's people that think like that. And there's teachers that think like that, too. They, they, I, I, I don't know how many of them really understand what a revolution would what it would mean, what it would look like, but they, in their heads, when you talk about this, like, you know, hell yeah, I want my students to be part of the next revolution. We're going to make so a better what they're world. wishing, what they're saying is I want my students in mortal danger. That's, that's yeah, exactly that's a, that's what they're saying because the, when there is no such thing as a bloodless revolution, there mm -hmm. really isn't. Um, and the people on the front lines of it, in other words, activists in the streets and things like that, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't go well for them. And I think it's unconscionable for people who have, you know, the responsibility for minor children to hold thoughts like that and then act on those thoughts. And I would go so far and we live in a free country, freedom of speech, et cetera, but no, you don't have unlimited free speech in a, in a classroom mm -hmm. when you are the guardians of, you know, small children and, and not even small, just under 18. Okay. They're not adults. They're not, they're not yet fully rational. And to use children that way to carry out your political goals 
to remake the country. You know, like pony up, pony up. You, you first leave the classroom, do it for free, go out on the street corner, stand on a soapbox and try to persuade people to do what you're doing using persuasion and argument in argumentation. Don't take impressionable young minds who look up to you that you are a guardian of knowledge and that when their parents have entrusted their minds, their developing minds to you and their bodies and have, have said, listen to the teacher, the teacher knows, follow the rules, do the homework, get good grades. And especially when they tie good grades to agree with me and do what I say, which they do, even with their smiling faces and their, you know, of course you can say what you want, you know, um, it's, it's unconscionable. And it's, I, I, I just think it is right up there with the worst kind of emotional abuse. It's manipulation. It's the same stuff that a lot of these teachers accuse like fundamentalist cults and religions of doing. You know, they'll say, you know, those are young kids and they don't know. And you're telling them they have to believe X, Y, Z. And I'm like, what are you doing? So that's why I loved your metaphor. I think your metaphor is spot on. I mean, it's not only amusing, it's accurate. Mm -hmm. It's accurate. Well, There's no dissent allowed. Right. And, and I, so one thing I'm allowed to get away with saying this because other parents can't, and I've heard a lot of parents still, they're very careful or even education activists say, well, we're not saying teachers. We're saying the teacher's union. I can say teachers. That's um, right. there, look, I'll say and, and there's always people <laughs> that will accuse me. They say, but I'm, I'm a good teacher. I'm like, look, I'm not talking about you. I'm not saying everyone, but public education is a magnet for a certain type of egoist, narcissist, people with above average intelligence, enough right. to be a little bit smarter than the general public, but not smart enough to know what they don't know. Exactly. With largely inflated egos and grandiose senses of self-importance and missionary purpose and higher calling, all those attributes of like being a, a you know, a, <laughs> we'll call them the, the Taliban of the intelligentsia. I don't know, I like that word. Um, and, and it does, then there's the minority, you know, you'd run into these people throughout school. I still keep in touch with some of my friends who, you know, the, I don't know, maybe the 5% that um, went into teaching because they're either really bright and, and they, or they really just love teaching, love the kids. But it's, it's an activist profession now. It yeah. draws in a certain type of people. I'm not, I'm not crazy about the profession of teachers. If anything, I, I hold the profession that I was a part, that I'm still a part of. I'm still, you know, I still say that I'm right. still a teacher. I'm a licensed teacher. I, I will always be a teacher, but right. I hold my profession in, in a lot of contempt for what I mm -hmm. saw, the behavior, the attitude, and, and to what I still witness. I mean, I speak to people that are teachers still that disagree with me. And I'm like, who do you think you are? How do you have exactly. such hubris and, and not, and, 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 your sense of self-importance and above that of the parents. I mean, that's what really drives me crazy. This idea they're, they're neo-paternalists. They're acting in the best interest of the children. They know better than parents. I've heard that. I, I mean, I had a, uh, what's their argument for that? They know better than the parents about their own children. Like how do they get away with that? That's the part that baffles me that, you know, they'll, well, they actually you believe know, that. Yeah. So like in, in the district where I taught, it's, you know, blue collar, working class, high school degree, and a lot of times no high school degree. And so I, I had a conversation with someone who was once a friend of mine, didn't, you know, she decided she could no longer 
mm. my friend. It was she couldn't do it. It was her. It was her principled stand. How brave! <laughs> um, right, right, right. But she she told me, you know, she said, well, you know, but the parents will make the wrong choice for their kids. I've seen the, these people. They, you wow. know, she said, oh, if you watch how they like go shopping, they they don't make the right choices when they buy foods and they buy unhealthy foods or they don't, they don't spend their money wisely. Wow. They're But that's the attitude. That, and I mean, they have really the audacity the to call you a hater and a racist yeah, and all these I, things. that Like these presumptuous, smug, self-important people who don't know the first yep. thing about those people's budget, about their time constraints, about everything. I mean- you know, would that everybody did every was it? We're all perfect parents till we have our own children. First of all, right, sure. And and then even after we have our own children, because we we imagine we know what goes on behind closed doors, we we're so we sit there and you know, oh, judge, you know what this one does and that one does. Instead of figuring, you know, you you, it's none of your business. Like you have no, you just have no idea. You really you don't know what goes on in a marriage. You don't know what goes on in a family with the children, and. Even if you're right, this is what I tell people. Let's say you're right. Let's say technically, if there were such a thing as a right diet or right this or right grocery list, and you were factually correct, it doesn't give you the right to lie to them, hide things from them, parent instead of them, counterparent them, or make decisions for their children because they're not your children. So none of it matters. You could be as right as right gets. It's not your right. That's the thing about America. People have the right to be wrong. As long as their wrongness doesn't literally trample your rights. But now these people are doing that. These people who claim they're being so protective and so helpful are actually violating the rights of others while calling themselves revolutionaries for, for freedom. And well, here's, here's, the, yeah. here's the thing to remember. I think um, we do this because we tend to, there's this cognitive bias we all uh, possess. And I, I see it, you know, in myself and I see it especially among kind of our movement. We tend to project our own ways of thinking, our own right. modalities for thought and our own values on other people. Sure. They don't believe in rights. It's lip service. They don't believe in rights as we do. They don't believe in freedom as we do. They mean completely different things. And so we sometimes are, to me, as, as someone who worked with these people, when people are like, you know, how, how do they not believe in this? How do they, how do they do this? The, the hypocrisy, I see it more as actually like really consistent mm -hmm. with who they are. They, they believe in social, social rights. They believe in the collective good. They're not individualists. No. They don't believe in freedom. They believe in the public good. That is and such an important point, Frank. Can we just like linger there for yeah. a moment? Because, you know, we say a lot of things in this movement against this ideology. We say a lot of things and we talk a lot. And parents, I think sometimes they get it's so overwhelming for them. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, what does it all mean? What is it? You know, okay, what should I pay attention to, et cetera? I want anyone listening to this to just hone in on what Frank just said. They don't believe in rights. 
And I mean, if you have to write that on post-it notes and stick it around your house to, as a reminder or something that when you have to talk to a teacher or you have to talk to the school district and they push back on you that they know best or they are better to make the decisions or whatever. If you are a person who believes in individual rights, if you look at the bill, bill of rights and say, yep, good document, actually should have a couple more added. You know, if you're, if you're like really solid on the constitution and you believe in it, you don't want to dismantle it. You don't want to tear it apart. Um, they don't just put that in there, you know, internalize that to the point where you really believe it. Cause it is really true. They demonstrate it with their actions every day. Uh, and then I think that will probably help you push back, at least in your mind, because it's such a fundamental statement. And you're the first person I've heard put it that simply. They don't believe in rights, period. They don't. Not even their own. Because when you'll sit there and say, like, are you okay with the government ordering you, for example, to get a specific vaccine? Well, absolutely. I have to take care of others, right? And you're okay with having even your right to self-defense infringed. Absolutely, if it saves one life. So what they're telling you is, I'm even okay with my own rights being taken away. At least for now, which is all right. it takes. They, they may change their mind in the moment when Roe v. Wade is overturned. Like, for example, suddenly they're all about their rights. They're all about my individual bodily autonomy, right, Frank? But the day before... When someone said you have to go get a specific vaccine, they were all about the collective. So, well, so, so we, you and I, and, and many other people, we, we have a, a political philosophy. And I would say it's probably classical liberalism is what we would describe as. We have a political right. philosophy. And so we work very hard and we wrestle with inconsistencies and, and, and figuring things yeah. out and making sure our, that it's coherent and that we are being consistent. And I think in some Even ways, when you know, it hurts. Even when it hurts, we call ourselves out on our own bullshit. I mean, that's yeah. what we do. Um, they, the the left, and especially teachers on the left, they don't have a coherent political philosophy. They have a religion with a dogma. And so it, it's, it's kind of like like many religions. There's certain beliefs they are just arbitrary, just because this is what I believe, just because I say so. And when they talk about rights and they talk about freedom, that's um, they're using a language to appeal to the broader public, but don't make the mistake of thinking that that's, you know, one, you'll drive yourself crazy if you exactly. make the mistake of trying to, you know, reconcile my body, my choice, bodily autonomy versus that. You just have to accept that it doesn't make sense because it's a dogma yeah. and it's just a structured set of, you know, many ways arbitrarily pick beliefs. Now they have some underlying principles they have certain values that they base that on, but you know you can really get their head spinning if you take them through the threads and point out those inconsistencies. I think that's why they get so nasty in debates and speeches is because it's it can be pretty easy to illustrate or at least raise questions that show some of their contradictions, and they don't know how to deal with that. We're kind of exactly. used to it, you know, having to work out our political philosophy. We can be like, okay, you know, that's a good point. Let me think about that. And I need to work that out. And they're like, no, this is what I believe by questioning, you know, these beliefs are sacred. And, and by you questioning them, that offends me. 
you, yep. you know, you shouldn't be saying that. Uh, it's to me, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me, you know, uh, when you kind of understand them. I think, you know, know who you're dealing with. I still think a lot of the public is naive about who they're dealing with, um, yep. especially teachers. And again, I know it's not popular to go after teachers because of the propaganda they put out there about, yeah. we work 80 hours a week for pennies. You do not. Yep. I, I mean, and, and you do get summers off. And if you calculate in like the state of Illinois pensions, teachers are some of the top income earners. Yes. You know, the average teacher makes 60000 a year, but they're making on the back end a pension. I've, I've done the math. It's over twenty grand a year in value. So they make more than in the in the big picture that you know teachers make more than doctors in Illinois. Yep. And well, and they're the forgetting too. So effective. They work as hard as they want to work. So what I mean by that is, um, the internet has made it possible, and the completely hands off. As long as you, you know, genuflect to the church of woke, your superintendent, your principal, et cetera, is likely to leave you completely alone. Like, sure. Now, and if you're in a team, as many grade, you know, or subject matter are now in public school in teams, and I firmly believe that's to keep them in line. The team is not to help you do work. The team is to make sure that there's other people over, you know, watching over what you do and dictating what, you know, some what's going to happen. And usually the lead of that team is the person picked by the superintendent or the principal who's like the high priest of that subject matter or whatever. And you know, so, but they otherwise leave you pretty much alone. You can go to the internet, download lesson plans from the Zin project or from, you know, teaching for tolerance or some of the, or black lives matter in the classroom. You can get things directly from, from organizations funded by Zuckerberg and Gates. You don't have to do work. The lesson plans written for you. It's you don't even have, I mean, you can do really in, in, in most. You can walk schools, in the classroom and take a current event and just spew. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. I, I shared a uh, room with uh, an older teacher who he worked in the private sector. And he used to say to me, he said, Frank, he said, I've never had an easier job in my life. He said, this is great. He said, the amount of time we work, you know, teachers don't work 12 hours. A day. Now, look, there are some teachers. I would also say that, that, that they're inefficient and foolish if you're spending that much time on, on, on grading that students usually don't read. It's a bad use of your time when you can be giving whole class feedback and using assessment tools. But anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, my day was from like eight to three. And out of that time, you know, it was about, let's say about seven hours. I was teaching maybe two hours and 45 minutes. And yes, I had a lunch and then I had an off period and then I had a duty, but the duty was just like sitting in the hall or something, you know, right. pretending to monitor the hall. I mean, and I could, you know, work, get my stuff done. You know, I was done. And, and not to mention, you need a day off. You got yeah. 16 paid days off out of 180 days you work. I mean, yeah. it, it was it was really, it could be, there, there were other ways that the job was taxing. There were days I wanted to pull my hair out. Um, and it could be, you know, when I really challenged myself to be like, I want to be better than the status quo. I want to really engage and excite these kids. Yeah, I did put in a lot of work. But if you wanted to, you could make it the easiest job in the world. And most teachers got to that point. Um, a lot of it's just burnout and institutionalization. They just get to a point and they say, it doesn't matter whether I work yep. 10 hours a day or I come in and work 
you know, my eight to three and that's that and, and barely work while I'm there. Give them a yep, worksheet exactly. and sit at my desk and uh, read the newspaper. I get paid the same. There's no incentive. It's it's such a it's such a perverted system. And I, that's where I do have some uh, I want to say maybe not sympathy, but like an understanding for teachers, because we've all, we all got to that point, especially in the type of school I worked in is um, you go in wanting to change the system and the system changes you. The right. forces of institutionalization are so Absolutely. powerful. And I'm actually, I, this is something I want to write about. I was thinking about this blog recently as I, um, my, my now six months in the private sector, you know, there's, you know, mistakes I've made as I'm learning, yeah. but more so than that, I, I realized I've been conditioned to think a certain way Yep. to handle problems a certain way. Now I'll give you an example. I'm talking to my boss and, you know, when sometimes when problems or conflicts come up, I, I defer to other people. I, I, I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'll take my beating, even if I'm not at fault. Yeah. I'll take one for the team because that's what you did in public mm -hmm. education. You didn't challenge or assert yourself because that was not being a team player. Right. That was making stir. You just mm -hmm. took your beating, nothing happened and you went on with your life. So in some ways I'm like having to learn how to deprogram myself. I'm kind of engaging in cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm, I'm being hyper aware. I'm soliciting a lot of feedback from people I work with. Like, you know, Hey, give me this feedback. Tell me what I need to do. How would you have handled this? It, it sounds silly, but I'm, I'm trying to undo a decade of um, unhealthy thinking patterns that get kind of sewn into your head um, because I, not because you want to, but you, you need to, to survive in the system. And I think that's, that's a very astute, <clears throat> sorry. I think that's a very astute observation. And, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I never would have thought of it, but as I'm listening to you speak, I'm like that, that is exactly what happens. And yeah. Um, once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? That's what's actually kind of cool about cognitive, you know, CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy yep. is that one of the goal, one of its goals, even if you accidentally trip upon it, you know, just in your own self-awareness, um, is to make you aware of reality as compared to the distortions of your thinking that have, you know, either been developed over time. And they can, by the way, you don't need someone making a concerted effort around you to have you think that way. That's no. how insidious it can be. All you can, all you have to do is be surrounded by people with distorted thinking and it rubs off because that, as you said, those are the systems of rewards, the perverse incentives of the institution. So it's not like you have to have a big dark cabal coming in and saying, everybody think this way. And the reason I bring that up is because it's so easy for it to happen to grown adults with rational minds, people as smart as Frank, just by creating that kind of an environment where this is the only way you're going to have the reward of, you know, good, good job, Frank, right? Now imagine you're a child. You're a child in K-12 and somebody is coming in with a little program called SEL or critical, uh, you know, whatever, or they're, whatever they're calling it. And they're teaching you things like checking your privilege. Um, they're teaching you to, you know, uh, confront your biases, decenter yourself, think about the collective. In other words, they're overtly putting distortions, cognitive distortions on the child. And yeah. how do I know they're distortions? Because nobody's a mind reader. And if you're going to tell a child to assume that, you know, intentions don't matter, all that matters is impact, 
which is critical theory on steroids, but that's what they do. Microaggressions are the manifestation of that and so on. You're teaching distorted thinking in the explicit sense while simultaneously calling it empathy and compassion. And what do you expect to end up with? But people who come out on the other side in desperate need of cognitive therapy because they literally look at reality through a distorted lens. Mm -hmm. That's not what reality is. They've been taught to see it as a as code, as manifesting, you know, something else. And here's Frank telling you, no one was explicitly saying that was the case, but he just kind of woke up one day and said, what the, what the hell? <laughs> right. Okay. This isn't normal. Yeah. I mean, I, and I've, I, a lot, um, I have probably grown more in the past six months than I did my entire 12 years. And I've still got a long way to go. Um, but it's like an active, like every day I'm spending hours, like going back over kind of like my history, reflecting on the moments that, that broke me and how I was re-socialized and, and in some ways uh, indoctrinated into new ways of thinking and new ways of behaving to survive in that corrupt, perverse system. And, um, you know, there's a, there's work ahead of me. That's what I would tell any teacher who comes out. Like, you're going to have to really, you're going to be much better because of it, because you're going to, you're not going to start off maybe as you should, but if you have that mindset towards reflection, growth, and you embrace kind of cognitive behavioral therapy and, and embrace the idea of being deprogrammed, you're going to become a really excellent employee because you're going to be able to adapt and deal with anything. And, um, and there are, I will say too, there are certain things that, you know, as a teacher, there's value I bring, but you also have to be cognizant teachers. Again, that, that hubris, they go into the private sector and they're all about like, I was a teacher. I, I have all this value to bring. Okay. You do have value and you have probably some really unique value that can't be found anywhere else, which is why the private sector is really interested in teachers right now, but you also have a lot of growth to do and you have to unlearn a lot. And you have to, if necessary, get a therapist, tell them I've developed really unhealthy thoughts, a good <laughs> therapist. I've developed really unhealthy thinking patterns. Can you do some CBT with me to help me recover from public education? I find one that's open to that idea. Um, you know, which may they're be probably very busy too. right now because they're few and far between. <laughs> right, right. And I get it. You know, when teachers talk about their mental health, like, and, you know, I mean, sometimes it's like, sometimes the, the hysterics and theatrics on social media are just too much for me. I can't deal with it. It looks ridiculous. Exactly. However, teacher mental health is a real problem. And yes. um, it's, it's usually not their fault. And substance abuse is a big problem with teachers. And, um, I do have empathy and sympathy, but it's funny. You know, I, I went through some of that on my own. I had to take a medical leave. I was really suffering. Um, I think both from 12 years and what I was going through, all that sympathy that teachers espouse, they, they weaponized what I was going through against me. Right. I mean, it was like, I thought you were mental health advocates. I thought you were you know, stress and trauma and healing. And where, where's all that talk now? Now, because I, you see me as your political enemy, you're more than willing to uh, use it against me, which I think is where, again, a lot of my contempt comes is I've seen how nasty teachers can be and they're, they can be really Machiavellian. And um, I, I have a lot of distrust and a lot of skepticism towards them because of that, because of my own experiences. 
with right. people I felt were my friends or people who said one thing. And I wish I could say it was just a few, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. No. And that's, I mean, you know, we, we kind of pick on teachers a fair amount because there are some representatives of the profession who deserve it. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I think anybody who takes to social media from within their classroom, possibly even putting their students on camera to validate their own personal need, like, look, my students love me, or my students use my proper pronouns, or look, my students do this. It's like, is this about you? When did this become about you personally? I mean, that's- Oh, me it absolutely is. Teachers right. love celebrating. I've never met a group of people that loves, and, and an institution that loves celebrate. We have days, institute days, which are all about celebrating ourselves. I mean, it's enough to, it, it's so not- you mean it's worse than the Golden Globes? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean- The actors and there's, celebrate themselves a lot too. What does that say? You know, yeah. I mean, teachers that I, I work with on social media, it's like constantly like, a student said this nice thing about a student valid. They are so desperate to be validated and to have to be celebrated and talk about what a great virtuous person they are. It's like, no one cares. Like you don't need to, to, to do that. The, the only time I actually posted what students had said about me was actually, I had about like 40 students reach out to me and just like, okay, we love you. You were a great teacher. We got your back. And I felt it was important to, one, I wanted to prove those people that were like, hey, he's just a bad disgruntled teacher who's trying to grift. I wanted to say, okay, no, I'm not. Here's right. the evidence. Here, I exactly. even posted my evals, my record. Here you go. I wanted that in their face. But also I wanted to show other teachers that like, sometimes you will find support in hidden ways. Don't assume it can be tough. Um, it's like, it's one of those things like when people ask me like, hey, I'm thinking of doing what you're doing. Um, I encourage them, but I'm like, just be ready. Like you're going to war, you know, train, put your yeah. armor on, know what's coming. Don't fool yourself. Right. Be very, you know, take care of yourself. And I know, I won't say this person's name, but I know there was a teacher who, who uh, went through like some of what I went through, not by their own choice. And, uh, you know, was, was almost driven to suicide. Right. Um, it, so it could, it, it could, it could easily, it could easily happen. Um, I could yeah. see, you know, teachers trying this, not fully aware. Like I want to speak up because they have convictions. Right. Make sure you're in a good place mentally because it will challenge you. It may break you, but you know, if, if you believe it and, and you're willing to do it, then please, we, we need you. We need your voice. Um, I want to ask you, so you've given some awesome advice to teachers who are on the inside who don't agree with all this or who are like on the fence and kind of going, I don't know, I feel kind of uncomfortable. But yeah. what I imagine the audience of parents might be wondering is um, because I, I try to give them advice on things to do as they, they go back to school. And so they might be wanting to ask you, Frank, how do I find out if my child's teacher is you know, beyond reach is going to be, you know, trying to brainwash my child. How, you know, should I even talk directly to my teacher? Will that put the kid on their radar? And that's a bad thing. Like, in other words, you were on the inside, you were sort of like behind enemy lines as a, as a teacher in that army. But there are parents who feel like they're compelled this year to send their children in to a kind of a camp, you know, like I 
yeah, that's how they feel. They feel like I don't have a choice. I can't pull my kid out for a variety of reasons. I don't have any place else to send them. I'm aware of what's going on, but like how much or how little or how at all do I confront the teacher? Because I think they're starting to wake up to the reality that the school board doesn't control what the teacher does in the classroom and can't that very often the superintendents and principals either don't know or don't care um, or support it completely. Like, or like you go um, out of a variety for a variety of reasons. Number one amongst which is cowardice. And so the parents are like, well, my last stop, I can't do anything from here. So what about from here? Can I face to face? I've told people, I said, go get to know the teacher, be polite, go into the classroom, not, not during parent teacher night, but like separately make an appointment ask questions about how they do things, what their point of view is about certain topics and just be interested, be polite, be, you know, don't be argumentative or combative and just see if you can get as much like out of them or from their demeanor to give you a sense of what you're dealing with. But what do you think? What's, what would your advice be to that parent? So my advice to parents, here's what I'd say. Um, the first thing I will tell a parent is before you go out there and fight this war, understand you may very well, you probably will become public enemy number one um, in your town, in your community, in the school district, and your child may suffer repercussions as a consequence. Think very carefully about that. What I would suggest doing is organize beforehand, create an organization, use that organization as the mouthpiece. Um, it doesn't sound brave, but, you know, parents are people, they got to look after their kids. Most people aren't equipped to deal with this. I, I cannot tell you what I went through and, you know, I would not want other people to go through it. So create a shield of anonymity. If you have an organization, you know, watchdogs of district, you know, 72, and that is, you know, operated anonymously and you can feed information into that. Um, People can know you're a part of that group, but they don't have to know your involvement. It, it buys you some protection. In terms then of when you've got that cover and you can use the organization or the parent group to get this information out to the community and you've got a support network, um, don't confront the teacher don't because do you're it. not going to okay. get anywhere. They're not going to be yeah. honest with you. Be a, be a spy. So what you, what you described is correct. It's called social engineering. Extract the information out of them, the subterfuge. Now, a lot of people are not comfortable with using deception that way. I mean, quite right. frankly, you have to lie. But that that is, you know, that's how gathering intelligence works. It's a game of deception. So um, I'm really interested. I love what you're doing in the classroom. Like, how can I, can I like, how can I support my kid at home? Get that information, feed it into the group teacher doesn't have to know and, and make sure there's a time lapse between when you get it and when it gets leaked and make sure that it's other people have done it so they can't trace it to you see what teachers will give up willingly when they think you're an ally mm -hmm. the other thing too is just talking to your kid and it doesn't you know sometimes now if you got a kid in high school they they don't want to be in, in this they might not want to tell oh nah, you know my, my crazy mom's gonna be all over this i'm gonna be calling the teachers so just yeah. say hey what'd you learn today um, just play the game. What, what did you guys talk about? Any cool political issues? Oh, cool. Just oh, that's nice. That's interesting. Um, you know, look through their backpack, see what their handouts are, go into their school classroom, see what you can find on their drive. You have to be a detective and then going back to what, you know, what do you do with that? Don't, 
I, I mean, again, people are free to do whatever they want and more power to people that want to take this on. And I know there's a lot of moms out there that have done this and it's like awesome. I, I love them, but I would just hate to see someone find themselves being ostracized and bullied without knowing that that was a consequence. So when you have an organization or, or someone or someone who is willing to do this, yeah. you know, and like I, I have parents sometimes reach out to me and say, yeah, I'll do it. I'll put it out there. I'll call attention to this. You feed it to me from find people that are willing to do that. Um, that is what I would do. And I, I think those, that's really the best way to do it. Um, I, I also am reminding everyone that we're ultimately going to need a political solution with political victories. Ultimately, this is not going to get us out of this now. Yeah. We're not going to get out of this by yelling at school rooms or by exposing. They've doubled down since we've started doing that. They're taunting us. The administrators have their backs. The school board. So we need to win school board elections. We need to win, you know, state elections. Probably everyone gets really, you know, I, I told this at one of my first speeches back in January to a group of parents after I'd kind of gotten out. I said, your school board elections are probably the most important elections of your lifetime because they will determine what happens to your children, how they are educated, and your children are the ones who will be voting at the national level. So every other issue you care about begins with school. So we got to figure out how to win school board elections. But they don't decide and the curriculum, though, and they don't hire the teachers and they don't they don't discipline the teachers. That's true. And I've heard this argument that, like, you know, we have to go after the teacher colleges. But I, I don't know how you can necessarily do that. What you can do with a school board, however, is you can increase the scrutiny. They can support teachers willing to come forward like me. If I had a school board that backed me, I might have been able to bring them the information and they could have acted on it. It was funny because. When I was called in that meeting, they said, um, I said, do you, you know, do you do this to other teachers? You know, right. um, well, if we're concerned that they're bringing their politics in, I said, I got names and documents. Do you want to see them? And there was like silence. Well, well, not only that, they're 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 blowing smoke because they have absolutely no legal authority. They're not a judicial branch or they don't enforce contracts. The only contract they have control over is the superintendent. Right. So so it's kind of like it's a lot of they're trying to to bully you and ca and capitalize on this we're a group of people sitting in a row you know like aren't we scary and i mean i think a lot of parents think that too and they don't realize that these individual members of the school board can't even talk to each other in a private conversation they have to do everything in public so it's very difficult for individual board members to coalition build within the board and make and come up with a you know sure. a shared view that's illegal they can't have that conversation except in public so, I suppose so. I, yeah, on a local level, I guess what you can do is if, look, if you got yeah. the board, you can then control the administrator. So you can select, you know, just how they select ideologically yeah. right now for certain administrators and then administrators select ideologically for teachers. If you've done those applications, you know exactly what they're screening for. Right. You can do a better job at screening for impartiality and filter out ideologues. Um, and that's how the school works. It's a top-down run system. So you have they to can also the withhold boards. the budget. They can withhold the budget. That thing that Big that is one thing they control the money. So if right. they were if you had a school board dominated by people who are liberty minded and you had parents coming forward with evidence of things that were being, you know, being done in the school while the, you're holding the money bags, they could very well start to say things like, you know what, 
we're just not going to release the funds till we've gone over every single title in the library <laughs> or exactly. something like that. Yeah. So, that so yeah. So there, do. there is power in that. Now, big picture. What, what am I really aspiring to when I talk about the ultimate political victory? And, and I believe this. I believe this will happen at some point because I believe that we will, you know, human beings eventually look at systems that are no longer serving them, that are dysfunctional, and they yes. get rid of them. We yes. we had for a long time, you know, look at mercantilism, a system where the state was heavily involved in, in, in trade and just the operation of international business. It's like you talk about that idea of mercantilism now, it's antiquated. I believe public education will at some point become an antiquated idea. So I've started saying abolish public education. And that's kind Yay. of a controversial thing, but I'm going to keep saying it and I'm going to call for the abolition of public education. And I'm going to on team abolition, Ooh, team abolition. Yeah. I actually, I actually just had a shirt. I'm speaking at a state Capitol next week. And I actually am wearing a shirt that says abolish public education. Yeah. That's because that's like, where do again, I get, I know shirt? I want one. <laughs> I know I'll have one made for you. Um, I have, I know just walk away from public schools, but I want to go on. You know, look, I know people are like, Oh gosh, do we really want to say that? Someone's got to say it. We're going to start saying now we're going to, it's going to be, well, if they can say abolish the police, if they can say a cab, all cops are bastards. We can say abolish public education. Well, the other thing is I think people mistakenly assume that when you say abolish public education, you mean like, you know, don't allow the village of such and such or the town of Scranton or whatever to decide to individually pull some funds together and provide something for the foster kids or the, you know, the kids in the, whatever in the group home that like that is technically funded by some tax re revenue that came in from somewhere like yes that would be a public option for the safety net but first of all i really believe it wouldn't necessarily be necessary if private if everything was privatized the way it ought to be with true free market systems but let's just say that's what it was limited to you know in other words back 150 years ago the what it was what public school was but what we're talking about is compulsory top-down May, you know, government run. So not just government, you know, collecting the money and spending it, but government running it and micromanaging it and all the employees are employees of government and not the local people or whatever. Um, that to me, what that's why I've taken to calling it government education, even more so government than education, public. Right. Because we might so, end up in some local little, like, come on, there are rural villages that might have to set up a schoolhouse because they don't have, you know, a nearby private school or whatever, and people aren't going to go invest in that. So maybe they do. And that would could technically be called the public school. That's not what we're talking about, right? Or we're talking right. about well, here's so system, here, this thing. Right. Here's what I do. Basically, when I say, you know, first I say, I say abolish public education because of how much I believe in and value the ideal of education. Same. So I, you know, I don't say abolish public grocery stores because I don't want people to, because I want people to starve. I say abolish public grocery stores because I want people to eat more than they could imagine. Right. Okay. So I want to abolish public education because I want education to flourish. Exactly. And, you know, people say, well, what does that look like? Okay. Well, first of all, the funding issue is it, it, that's, that's an issue that cannot be solved right now out of pocket. So I'm I'm okay. My concession is we can publicly fund uh, universal vouchers. However, 
no more property taxes. It's archaic. It's like it treats people like serfs. Do it through some type of consumption tax or you do it through a sales tax because then at least people can. There's just so many benefits to owning property. And, and you know, you talk about the elderly and the poorest people, but you do it on certain goods. And everyone in the state by child gets, you know, like in my quote unquote so called poor district, total expenditure is 19000 per student. You take a mom with three kids in that community. She has now almost $60,000 a year to send her kids. That's that's like how much private schools cost. There we yeah, go. Yeah, but the problem with or, that, Frank. What's the problem? Well, here's the problem. First of all, we know that they don't spend that on the kid. It's on the staff and all this other stuff. So, I mean, right. I agree with you that it would be more, but as I just, uh, you know, the aforementioned more rural and suburban areas, the private schools don't exist to absorb that number of kids. That's first. Secondly, the dollars are still being filtered through government to be handed out. So that creates two problems. One, waste, because now we have a whole administrative system to have to administer the dollars and get the, you know, send it out to people and make sure, like, we know there's waste and abuse in Medicaid, Medicare, all the times that they send out vouchers or dollars or reimbursements, it is crazy the amount of waste and corruption. So, and we, and you also have a justified concern on the part of the taxpayers, myself included, and I'm all about education, right? But I don't want to subsidize this garbage. I'm already subsidizing it in the public schools. And it is a fair thing for me to say if some of my consumption tax is being used to send out to random people that I really honestly don't want it used to fund a whole slew of Bill Gates academies. I really don't want my public dollars being used for, you know, Planned Parenthood Academy or whatever else that they might be absolutely free to spend it on because if it's universal and they can spend it on whatever they want, they could, except it's not really their money, right? It didn't come out of their pocket. It's an amount given to them because needs-based, whatever. So the public would have, would be justified, completely justified in saying, I want to know that there's some oversight into how this is being spent. Well, what happens when you use the O word? Now you have government strings attached. And what you've just done is you've taken the private systems and you've made them public because they will have the same amount of, you know, big brother political interests coming in. And it's going to depend on who's in office and who's out of office looking down the road and be like, what are you doing? We need to know because we're using taxpayer funds. And like I said, that would be appropriate. And so we are, there is no more private system then. It's all quasi public. Sweden tried this. Well, yeah, I mean, and look what happened. yeah, I, I just, there's a few things I'd say. I, I mean, look, I think anytime you give people or allow them the freedom to make their own decisions, there's going to be a lot of people that make decisions you don't like. But shouldn't so they that, do it with their money, though? That's true. So the yeah. question becomes, right. So so then the question becomes, um, for a lot of parents, how would they, you know, you know, say even people that don't own homes, they don't have to pay property taxes, how would they do this? You know, because... Right. Um, we're so entrenched in, you know, socially paying for education that it would be a very long and difficult adjustment. And I think a lot of people would really struggle to do it. And the the truth is that you would see, I I would be concerned about like places where I taught, you would have the same problem, some of like the poor schools. So maybe what you could do is maybe we need to go to some kind of like, uh, for certain income earners, like the negative income tax idea. Yes. Um, 
Yes. That that's an idea. I don't I don't have all the details I, worked out. I so think I mean I think there is a system of incentives that we could create that would motivate the free market to fill these gaps in a healthier way where they're not going Whoa, money that I can get from somewhere else and more like money of ours that we get to keep. And I think it could be things like you said, like a negative income tax. I think you could have some payroll, like some tax breaks and incentives for organizations that, you know, make it easier to become a nonprofit organization or a foundation sort of free up dollars that are already circulating around to be used for the purpose of funding or creating scholarships privately for these kids or even building schools such that people have an incentive to do it. So they're like, you know what, mm -hmm. if I build a school and I dedicate 30% of my intake to scholarships, then I get X amount of tax break or I'm, I'm, I'm automatic 5013C or whatever it is. And suddenly I truly believe this. And maybe I'm like some Pollyanna, but I believe you would have an explosion of educational opportunities, childcare opportunities, because we should also provide that. We should, if you really want to broaden the opportunities for education, then that means all the people who would homeschool their kids, but for the job at the public grocery store, they have to take to pay whatever the little expenses that they need. Okay, well, they need childcare or they need, you know, whatever. They don't need the teacher. They don't need the building. They just need to ha keep their own money so they don't have to pay for that school tax. I and think I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, so what you're describing, I'm. I think we're on the same trajectory. Yeah. I'm describing kind of like what is the the most practical and achievable, um, realistic step we can take. It's probably like a universal voucher system with all the problems that comes with it. I think where you're describing is it's kind of like um, it would be it would be a graduated step. And I, I look maybe this is just me as a historian. I look at like going from cap feudalism to capitalism happens in increments. And so we might need an intermediate stage where people acquiesce to the idea of, you know, hey, I have this voucher and I can do this. Now, you, you would want it state controlled um, because you do not want a federal bureaucracy. You're going to have a state bureaucracy over that. Sure. Right. But, but the federal, as long as the Department of Education exists, they're going to come in and say, Oh, you know those funds you need that make up the budget for the blah 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 that gets you to twenty thousand a kid right. or thirteen thousand a kid. You can only have it if equity plan or whatever. That's what it is now. And so my concern about programs like the one in Arizona and some of the ones in Indiana and Ohio and some of these others is this: when they drafted these plans, these bills, and legislatures voted on them, they didn't include guardrails. So they didn't include in their plan something to protect the plan from themselves from politicians. So, you know, from people, special interests coming in and saying, okay, you know, well, Mr. So-and-so we're the NEA and we're only going to donate to your campaign or endorse you or whatever. If you make sure that when you get in, you pass a regulation that all those school dollars have to go, the teachers at all the schools have to be certified for whatever, or they have to be union members or they have to be something, something. So guardrails would look like this. This plan belongs to parents. Once the money leaves our hands, it goes in an ESA it's, it's in an ESA. And as long as you can reasonably claim on your taxes or whatever, that it was just like your medical crap for your FSA, that it was for the purpose of education, we're bowing out after that. It's not our responsibility. And to change this law will require three fourths of the legislature to effect a change. 
so that they can't just next election, next election, come in and somebody new go, yeah, that's cute. Here's a bunch of regulations. And I just think that it's we, we've got to have guardrails or it will not be a stepped plan. It Absol- will be absolutely. Like what happened to 401ks and IRAs where we thought, oh, yay, my own private system of saving my money, except it isn't because now the government tells me when I can withdraw it, how much I can withdraw, what kind of fine I pay if I need it for an emergency. Blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, 401k is they could literally today announce that they are taking our 401k money, appropriating it, and they legally could. That's what's so scary. So people are like, no, they couldn't do that. Yes, they can. They've invalidated private contracts. Obama did it with with the car, with the the, the car industry and other kind of it. They've invalidated private contracts all day long already. If they're one step away because there were no guardrails. I don't want to see education happen like what happened in Sweden, where they came along and said it's just a stepped plan and suddenly homeschooling is banned and all the schools are public. Yeah. I don't want that here. That's my yeah, concern. I- I agree. And you know, your, your concerns are valid. I I'm actually, now that I think about it, I guess what we really should be focused on um, is finding a way to break the indoctrinative mechanism as fast as possible, whatever Mm -hmm. the cost, I will make a lot of concessions on my um, ideals to first break that mechanism. Because the point is we won't be having the conversation we're having a generation or two down the road because we will not have a political, anything close to political majority. We won't be allowed to. We won't be allowed <laughs> to. Be because that's been my whole they'll point from the beginning. Come, they'll come and take this away. They're playing, look, the, the revolution has happened. Yes. They won. They, they won. What we are now in is we are in the long phase of the revolution where they weaponize the school systems against us. Correct. And... And the IRS. We're, we're, and we're, running out, we're running out of time because every year that graduating class fills their ranks. Um, I don't like to be cynical. I, I'm, but I, I'm very concerned that our, our window is rapidly running out um, of time. The window's closing. And we got to do something to, to, to fix this, whatever the cost, really quickly. Because right. then we can we can have at least like, a society where we can have these discussions and disagree. Right. Um, some people well, I've heard some I... people say, Frank, it's too, I think it's too late. I, I, I can't believe that yet. Um, but remember but... there were people who went off to the little, you know, corners of Tuscany and different places, you know, places in the world and managed to survive the middle ages. Okay. Like they survived the dark ages. They survived all that and came out the other side and, Oh, look, re- you know, Renaissance. Um, and so that had, that happened because somebody somewhere preserved knowledge and somebody decided, you know, like now's the time let's go. But we, I see it as, I just want to skip the dark ages where I would love, my head. <laughs> I would love to skip that, but we're, well, let's face it. We're, we, the, the, we're already in the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, you, you only need to look around and see what passes for knowledge these days and that will, how people talk about science to know we're in mm-hmm. it. So to me, we're in a survival phase. And, you know, as you put the long part of it and to that end, what I'm trying to encourage people to do is find your way with your family within your most immediate little nuclear community, like wherever you live to find like-minded people, find your solution. Now, if your solution includes continuing to use that building and those teachers and that curriculum, but you, then you're going to have to talk to your kids. You're going to have to augment with other lessons so they don't miss out on the truth. 
you know, if you, if it's like they have to be compelled to be in that building, treat it as like what it is that, it, that your, your child is in a kind of a prison, unfortunately. So beef up their intellectual development, some other kind of way, talk to them, counterbalance the information. You're going to be homeschooling on top of the schooling, just accept it. And if you don't want that job, if you don't want to do that level of work, that level of detective work, that level of supervision of every single thing they're learning and counterbalancing it with something else, then seriously sit down with your family and go over your budget, go over your lifestyle, go over those things and consider the possibility that it might be costing you more. Remember, cost is not just money. It's also time and opportunity and all kinds of things. It might be costing you more to have this dual income you know, family where we put the kid in the school and we both go to work. And then we have to do all the other stuff after work. It might be costing you more to do that than to say, you know, one of us is going to work part time or stay home or change blah, 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 so that we can construct our own thing or go in a micro school or homeschool or work with our you know friends and do something, you know, job like shift share or whatever we do to try to take care of this because um, it's your kids like that. It's your children's lives at stake and their future, you know, self-esteem, mental health. It's not just the knowledge they're going to miss out on. As Frank has said, he's an adult and his mental health was compromised. Think about your children's mental health. They claim they're going to fix it in school. No, that's the opposite. So I guess what I would say to people is I know everyone can't literally homeschool, like quit their job today. They're single parents. Their parents have foster kids. They can't do it. But there are churches. There are organizations that exist right now, charitable organizations. There are different people out there right now who, if they could fully embrace where we are and said, you know, we got to build, even if they're tiny little solutions, like we got 10 kids here and 20 kids there. And I got, you know, I'm going to, I can take another three over here. Um, I think that's the phase we're at. And that's what I'm trying to encourage and empower people to do is to say, if you have to leave that money that they took from you on the table right now, because fighting for it possibly empowers people to go, Oh, really? Like Walmart's getting ready to build schools. And I'm not exaggerating, but if <laughs> you know, Rather than do that and fight for that legislation, I'd rather see people say, that's my insurance policy against them bothering me. And let's go figure out how we're going to scrape together some stuff from people who who want it to be different. And I would start with churches because um, there are still some that actually still care about preserving the nuclear family and certain kind of values and so forth. So I would start there. Synagogues, too, if you can find them that are like minded and leverage those physical spaces, the brain power, any kind of money, donations, and figure out ways to get this done. Even if it's just, we'll watch your kids while you go to work. And then when you come back at three o'clock, we'll do this and you give them some books and we'll have them read while they're here. We're smart people. We can figure this out without going to government and asking for permissions and access to things they've stolen from us so that they'll then oversee, blah, 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 blah. And, and I say this to people and they're like, but Deb, you're going to give us our money and I want it back. I'm like, yes, now go vote for liberty-minded legislators who will do things like cut taxes or get rid of the, get rid of the property tax. I love that idea. You're absolutely right. It should be, if, if we're going to have public schools, they should be funded differently. But that's an incremental thing I'd support. I just don't love the idea of being attached to like a voucher because it, to me, it's like a ticket for the government to have a say in the private goings on that they currently don't have a say in. And that's, I want to keep them as far out of private schools and homeschooling as I possibly can. And tragically, that means letting them keep the money they've stolen from us for now until we can elect people who understand that it's stolen money 
and and try to stop stealing it. That ought to motivate us to elect people who don't do that, not just people who go, we're going to spend it differently. We're going to keep taking it, but you can spend it over here and there and there and there. That to me is not a principled approach. And that's my opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with me and I get a lot of heat for this, but I just had to put it out there. No, I, I get that. I mean, that's <laughs> the, you're, 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 uh, and I, I would say I'm, I'm, I lean despite what people think I'm a conservative. I lean libertarian in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and I respect, you know, libertarians are probably the most principled people I've ever met. And um, I voted libertarian. And um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe now more, you know, what is, is there something we can do to like derail the train and then like figure it out? Because I'm worried, like we're running out of time. If we yeah. run out of time, we, we lose our schools. Um, it is a race. You know, the, I agree with you there. We're in a race against time. And, and, you know, maybe Frank, the answer is to do both. In other words, mm -hmm. like maybe the answer is, you know, it, it, that, it, you know, a little bit of your solution, a little bit of my solution, you know, both of, if, if we do it on both fronts, we're, we're throwing a lot of sand in the gears. Um, so, you know, the if it was only your solution or only my solution, it might not work. I don't know. It might not be fast yeah. enough because well, I I'm glad you, I'm, it's a race. Yeah. I'm glad. And I'm glad we, you know, again, the, the central point for me is finding a way to break the indoctrinated mechanism. So, and then we can like have this discussion with a little more time knowing that like, okay, like our, we're not, our schools are not creating our, our future political enemies. Um, but that's, that's where I, I have to keep the focus on right now. But um, I think you know, every day do. I'm thinking about it and trying to think about solutions and, and ways to do this. I mean, I almost feel like parents that, that reach out to me, you know, my, my kids coming home with this ideology and that would like, we almost need like a deep programming uh, service for parents no, no, no. of kids that go to public schools. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's not, it's, it's not. We have to and I think we, we need can. to make it cool. And, and I don't think it's as hard as we think. So right now, um, I mean, I have a 14 year old, I have a 14, 16, 18 year olds. Okay. My 18 year old already is like, mom, this stuff is bogus. She was like, she just scraped by, she was homeschooled long enough, first of all, for eight years. And then, you know, so she kind of just scraped by being like indoctrinated. She knows what it is. She sees it, but she's like, eh, okay. But she doesn't bring it up because she doesn't want to be on the dark side of, you know, her friends and so forth. Then, um, you know, my 16-year-old is probably a little more woke than I would like. Not much I can do about it. Um, even being homeschooled, she still, like, spends a lot of time on the internet, and it, it just seeps in. But my 14-year-old, interestingly, the youngest of the three, is the most cynical about woke stuff. So in other words, like my eldest is kind of like, yeah, they suck, but you know, what are you going to do? Right. And so she's kind of like coasting. The youngest is like, these people are stupid. Do they think we believe this? Do they think we agree with this? Like they're like, Pfft. you know, so I have some hope that the younger kids that are being just bombarded with all this garbage, if, as long as we parents make a concerted effort like I do, like I know you do to like counter it with reality or to even make fun of it or joke about it or whatever. And they have access to the other side. These kids know the score. They don't believe these, these people as much as we think they do. There will be kids who do, and that's tragic, but there are a lot of kids who are going along to get along and who secretly look at their teachers and be like, uh, nope. I'm pretty sure a man is a man and a woman's a woman, you know, like that. and 
they don't buy it and they're just they're just faking it or they're they're playing along and um what i want to do is strengthen them i want to empower them to speak up more i don't think they realize they have more power than parents and teachers if a kid in a class says yeah but what about this i mean they can fail them i guess they could say like you know we'll give you an f for your opinions or whatever but pretty soon, if you have enough kids, if you have another kid nearby who goes, yeah, I agree with him. Yeah, you know what? I'm not buying this. That teacher is going to be isolated. Isolated. And I don't think it would take much. It'd take about three kids in a given class to just politely, respectfully dispute what the teacher is saying and do it every single day. And if we had like a course off to the side that taught that put these kids on the inside to do that, they would they'd be flailing. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. I, I agree. I think that there's this beautiful uh, thing about human nature is that we are rebellious teenagers. Um, the, the cynic in me, though, however, is where I think they may beat us is through SEL because yeah. that is where they are starting at preschool with efforts to re-socialize them. That's true. Um, that's so why it's so dangerous. To, that's why it's so dangerous. You used to have um, the, like the indoctrination stuff maybe wouldn't really start too heavily until middle school and high school. And very recently in the past, it's almost like after the pandemic, they're hitting preschool. So there is a point I wonder in which we they're going to figure out how to socialize that out of kids or at least socialize them into silence to where the even if it is a minority of, of students and, and you know and their teacher minorities have done terrible i mean communist minorities have yeah, true. destroyed countries so um no, you're was, right. Those, those I, I guess I was trying bugs, to be optimistic. I was. I know. To be well, well, we need we need uh, some of my classic cynicism too. I look. I'm, I'm cynical, but also I think that's that's a rallying cry. That's why, like you know, when people hear that, I don't want them to be like, oh, you know, I'm buying more ammo and moving to Utah. No, no, that's your call to speak up and fight. Okay, yes. and maybe you know have some ammo just in case the revolution comes and you have to protect your family. You know, that's right. your breaking case of emergency fail safe. Um, right. You know, I mean, it's funny, though, but the, the, the public's perception, I'll, I'm going off on a tangent on that as James. After 2020, people that I knew that were anti-gun and anti-this, they're like, I was I lined up in June 2020 to just try and get something to protect my store family. And I couldn't. I'm like, OK, so you see why people that own guns, they're not crazy. They don't want to use them. They're not looking for they're thinking of the that unthinkable time. Yeah. Um where God forbid they may have to protect themselves or their families. That's right. Um, right. What'll scare me is when the left starts becoming gun nuts uh, because they will not have the, the defensive instinct. They will have the social justice proactive instinct. Usually. Well, they don't need to because one of the job description you know, requirements for those 87,000 IRS agents is the willingness to use deadly force with a weapon. So, no, no. <laughs> well, like, uh, Mark Ousley said, I, I'm stealing his quote, but it's such a great, he said, they don't, he said something like, they don't need your guns if they have your children. That's exactly and right. He, and Mao right. knew that too. And Mao so did Hitler. That. And so did all these. And every time we make these comparisons, Bill, oh, that's so offensive that you're comparing it to that. It's like, what is the point of learning from history, of learning history 
if you're going to then ban the comparison of, of things to history. Like, you can't, we, the whole point of it is you don't repeat that. Like, if you see right. the inklings of we're moving in that general direction, you don't go, oh, don't talk about that. It's so offensive. <laughs> Like, next, next time I next time I come on, we need to bring on Lily Tang Williams. Oh, I, I know, I right? Had, we yeah, were, it'll be a three-hour show. And yeah, she's be been like, on, and she said that, and she's now running for office, and she's saying the same thing. She's like, the country I love is becoming the country I left. And exactly, you know, anybody who who spends five minutes on Wikipedia reading about Mao can see the similarities. Like, I'm, I, or you're willfully blind. You're just willfully blind if you don't see it, and it's even more similar to Mao in terms of what's going on in the schools than it is to anything like Hitler did with the possible exception of the style of schooling is Prussian still, right. um, you know, but it's, I think th the bottom line is that what Frank says, what I say, you know, take whatever works for you and your, and you know, like your, your family or if you're a teacher or whatever, and, and just run with it, please. <laughs> like, do, do, you know, think it through, talk it over with your family, talk it over it with yourself, and then figure out how you are personally in your own life going to defend liberty. I mean, defend, you know, what, what, learning, education, knowledge, what's it going to be? Are you going to collect books? Because that's a good thing to do. Are you going to support um you know, any kind of private institutions or private charities or whatever that could provide support for these kids? Are you going to go speak out at a school board meeting? Are you going to run for school board? Like there's something each and every one of us can do without, as Frank said, you don't necessarily have to stick your, your face and your name out there. There's something you can do. It could be small. It could be supporting Frank. And I want to, before we end, I want you to explain now what you're doing that people can support because this is one example of the kind of things that you guys can do individually to uh, keep keep the momentum moving towards truth, towards the preservation of you know, like fighting off the dark ages, so to speak. Tell us what you're what you're doing, what you're working on. Yeah, so one of the things that uh, I'm working on is um, I can't talk too much about it, but working kind of on a a program that will help parents um, and, and a structure to to organize uh, or to to activate, organize. And ultimately have um, you know local election victories uh, at their school board. Um, you know I'm I'm doing when I can, going out and speaking to parent groups locally, sometimes in other states. And I always tell people if, if you can get me out there, you know I'm willing to do that. Sometimes people hearing a, a former teacher and yeah. speak to them and say like, look, this is real. This is what's happening. It wakes up their town. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, Paul Rossi and I are going to be, we've been talking about it for a while, but we're actually now in the final stages of going to start like a little YouTube show for like focused on kind of the teacher end of things. Like teacher oh, talk, awesome. like about, mm -hmm. you know, um, these issues where you've got like, you've got like your kind of channel for parents. We're going to try and get teachers on and, and talk to teachers because we think we need to win more of those over. And so, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. And, um, you know, um, people can like, put my Twitter handle in the picture, you know, reach out to me. Um, if you have questions, if you need support, sometimes it's hard to respond to all those things, but I do the best I can. Okay. If you'd like to, you know, be involved at some point in um, like piloting this type of like a uh, program I, I mentioned, you know, uh, send me a message on Twitter or send me an email and I'll, uh, okay. I'll put your name down and we'll, we'll get to you eventually. But, um, and, and you, you still know. have, um, you still have your website. You still have a YouTube 
chalkboard heresy and then yeah chalkboard heresy is just my sub stack right now I, I i'm gonna try and get like a better website at some point up where i can aggregate all these different things which is what right. i mean but and you and you um and you've got a new patreon i understand too i I actually had it very early on i just yeah i never promote i like maybe once or twice i think i did once a few days ago and maybe like once a year ago um it's just like if people want you know it helps put some more food on the table helps take care of bills so um he's being he's being overly humble guys i'm gonna step in on frank's behalf (laughs) right now um as we said towards the beginning of this show when people do what frank has done it takes a massive toll okay and so it's it's if you find value in what he's saying here right now, if you find value in the work he's done through his other channels, if you find value in there just being an example teacher for other teachers to like stand up and fight back, then one of the ways you can support that value is with donations. It's with, you know, supporting, you get something out of it. I mean, he's got some offerings on Patreon for some merch, like the cool hat he's wearing, there's mugs, there's t-shirts, there's there's also, um, you know, one-on-one conversations. But this is, this is a way that you can be supportive and keep things going without putting your own name out there. If you're not comfortable or you, that you don't sure. know any other way to help, that's a way you can help because it does, it does take, it does take a toll on the finances and it also costs money to do. So there's, there's two, two costs <laughs> and it is greatly appreciated. Um, so I'm going to plug him even if he's, even if he's reticent about that. Yeah. Thanks. You just, yeah, you can, can go to, patreon.com slash chalkboard heresy if they want. Um, And, you know, I'll say too, you know, it's important to support Deb and what she's doing. I mean, we're, we're both in this together. We've probably, uh, I kind of joke, like I'm a teacher in exile. I mean, we've in many ways kind of cut ourselves out of a lot, a big section of the job market um, by doing what we're doing. And we're radioactive. um, We're radioactive, but you know what? Um, you know, with, with people, with the support of people watching this, with the support of all these people out there, we can be radioactive. We can embrace that. We can fight right. and say what other people want to say, but maybe can't afford to. Um, right. So exactly. I think- We've already know, done it. I, We're tardy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, left is, the left is really, really good about like mobilizing yes. people's money to support their activists. Um conservatives we need to do some work on that we need to get better at that we we have probably more economic power but we don't wield it as yeah. well as the left and i think um you know i'm actually uh one of the the company i'm working for right now and, and my boss he's um i won't say their name but he's um that's a big part of what he's doing is getting people he has an organization that kind of incubates grassroots movements and he gets people he he goes to people of means and with money and he has a message for them he says you guys you're doing okay you've done very well this country has given so much to you it's your time to give back and he's doing very well and incubating some really cool stuff he's he's been helping to support some of my projects which is awesome and Um, there's people like that out there, but we got like at the individual level and I remind myself of this too. You know, I subscribe to James Lindsay just because I want, I, I, I know like he's high camp civility and I, I want to 
give him a little money each month of what I can. And, yeah. you know, we all kind of like, you know, we form our own little church. We tithe. <laughs> I, we seriously, do. though, I think I do too. And I think, um, I think that's the thing that's so surprising is a lot of us are supporting each other. <laughs> it's like this mutual aid society. Yeah. Even you give me 10 a month, Deb, I give you a 10. Here, I know. Hey, you know what? That's good. And look, yeah, but if you if you want to if you want to feel really good and do absolutely nothing, we'll make a profile frame for you. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I stand with Deb and Frank, and you can put that there and be like, clap to yourself and right. We'll, get, I mean, we'll, we'll make pins whatever. too. We'll, well we pins. should just make a wraparound that says you know heretic. Heretic, yeah. Yeah, it should just be like chalkboard heretic or something like that, and you know. Uh, have that be a wraparound and people go, what is that? And then they have to go look it up. But, but it's it, funny. It I didn't, I didn't realize that like a lot of like people of like they love, like they get it and they love the name. They're like, Oh, chalkboard here. that's so great. When I, when I came up with that, I was like 50, 50 on it. I was like, yeah, like people aren't going to get it or it's going to come off as like weird, but it's like this perfect. Song. It has only become more perfect as time has gone by because the more we learn about this, th these plural ideologies, because they do kind of, you know, they're all critical, but then they're multiples within. Um, the more we learn about them, the more we realize that it is like just different, uh, different pillars of the same faith. And mm -hmm. um, they, they are, it is faith driven. In many cases, they'll admit it to you. They'll admit it, for, for, you know, like, we don't have the evidence. I read a paper about uh, transformative SEL and implementing it for the purpose of creating the workforce of tomorrow. Like they know what that should be because, you know, they're soothsayers, I guess. But and they're admitting right in the paper, like, well, while we have no real hard evidence to support that this is going to work, we're going to keep doing it. It's like right in there. And I've actually heard people who are critical, um, critical race theory professors, you know, who teach it in schools of education and so on and, um, and schools of social work admit this is a faith-based system. These are our beliefs. They don't, they don't even apologize for it. And, the, and in fact, it's one of their defenses when you say, well, they're doing this in the school and that in school. Well, like any faith-based system, there are people who are going to corrupt it in practice. <laughs> it's like, are you serious? Are you yeah. using the old, you know, no true Scotsman kind of thing, like, but you're admitting that it's a religion and that's basically what they're doing. And then if you say, well, so you're saying it's like a religion. No, it, you know, okay. You're right. It's like a cult because there's absolutely no redemption in your, in your religion. And most, yeah. most religions have redemption. Most religions understand where the real, the mystical <laughs> leaves off and reality begins and they make a distinction between the two. And here it's like, Nope, my beliefs are reality. They're as real as this pen. <laughs> it's like that's a little culty so it is very you know I, but they'll admit it and so i think heresy is absolutely perfect because i think back to when you had things like the inquisition um and this is a lot more like that minus the rack and you know things of that nature um but it's it's really similar where you have your yeah. high priest <clears throat> the only thing missing frank is there's no one leader they have high priests and priestesses but there isn't one leader. It's yeah, I've, I, I drew on my Catholic upbringing and, and kind of constructing this metaphor. Of people that's about all that's missing is the Pope. I heretic. Um, it would probably have been better, you know, to talk about like, you know, 
the Orthodox Church in terms of a patriarchy, uh, you know, because that's kind of what they have. They have their, except it's a matriarchy now. <laughs> yeah, they we don't we don't have a pope. They have their college of yeah matriarchy. Um, <laughs> so so yeah. Um, All but, you, you know, can do is I, laugh, right? I mean, after a point, if you don't try to derive some humor out of all of this, like you'll go crazy. And sometimes it's humorous. You it do. Really you is. just have to, and, and sometimes you just have to ridicule them. Be like, where do you stand on trans students in the bathroom? I'm like, where do you stand on transformers in the bathroom? What are Optimus Prime's pronouns? Is he a truck or is he a space <laughs> robot? I know. Um, like, yeah. And where does it end? Does That's he have thing. to transform into a truck before he goes into the truck only bathroom? Yeah. Or can exactly. he go in there as a robot? I think rock. I think rock banana is my favorite student on the internet now. Have you heard about rock banana? No. What's the? Oh, this is why I said we need to activate the students who think this way. There was a, a, a I'm gonna, teacher. I'm pull this up, rock banana. Yeah, there there was a teacher who went on to TikTok right. and said, "Internet, I need your help." I was teaching the kids about pronouns or trying to get their pronouns, and one of the kids said that I hadn't asked him. You know, I had. I don't know if she had said him. I hadn't asked the proper pronouns. And so she said, I'm so sorry. What are your pronouns? He said, rock and banana. And she said, <laughs> it, and she went to the internet in all sincerity, asking if the kid was serious or kidding and what she should do. Wow. And I'm rock just like, banana. Who, I love it. Who, whoever you are, rock banana. If you ever see this video, you're my favorite. <laughs> like, you're my hero. I, you know, hey, I think that we actually need to start, you know, the left is turning our kids into activists. Let's like flip it. Let's start turning our kids into like nightmare activists in their classrooms. I That's said, tell I'm your saying. kids, tell your kids and say you'll back them. You'll take them to Chuck E. Cheese. If their teacher asks their pronouns, they say, my pronouns are okay groomer. And that'll oh get them a trip God. to the principal's office. But it'll also get him a trip to Chuck E. Cheese that night. So, you know, if you're a kid, e easy choice. I mean, really, what if we just made, uh, you know, our kids became ungovernable in the That's school? That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm saying, you know, it. if it's three kids in a class. I mean, so if you just had classrooms all over this nation, like, you know, erupting into chaos, not because the kids were throwing things and you know, cause they, that doesn't cause a problem. They're throwing chairs. They're, they're <laughs> cursing, they're throwing fists, they're whatever they're doing. They're being sassy and rude, but I would love to see them cope with the disciplinary challenge of students just saying, yeah, I, uh, I'm not buying it. I don't agree. I think that biological sex is real and, um, I don't know. I don't believe this. And you know what? I actually think America is a pretty cool country and, by the way, teacher, have you ever been to Venezuela? You know, like, I mean, if you were to educate your children and like I said, back them up. Now, the problem you have is, of course, you got it takes some serious cojones on the part of the child. Oh, sure. because I, like my kid knows all this. My eldest knows all of this. And even as a freshman, when she was still in public high school, she knew all this stuff. And the most she would do is surreptitiously record things and bring them home. Well, there's an idea. And she would bring them home. And she would share them with me and then I could do something about it. But what if I'd been someone other than me? I wouldn't have done anything about it, right? I, I did do things about it and it made me, you know, PNG and so forth and so on. But she was willing to take the heat of me being in trouble and maybe someone going, that's your mom. She was willing to do that much, but she wasn't willing to stand up and say anything for the same words you imagine any teenager wouldn't be willing to stand up and say anything. It's a, tough to be a teenager. And it's especially tough if you assume you're the minority.
So I think Frank's idea of figuring out new ways to organize outside the school, okay? Organize groups of parents. Well, guess what, parents? You all have children. If these are your views and your kids are not six, I mean, you know, like they're, they're somewhere between fifth grade and 12th grade, maybe get your kids together too. Maybe have, you know, create some kind of environment where the kids realize they're not alone in the district. They're not alone in the school. And if it takes, if there's one or two or three of them who have some guts who are a little more outspoken, they lead the others, you know? So you've got moms for Liberty, for example, right? You know, well, what about kids for Liberty? What about having the kids likewise be organized? If they're organizing kids, they're called GSAs. They're called GSAs. They're called rainbow clubs. They're called all these things, right? Yeah. Okay, well, don't you think it would make sense to have a similar organization for the kids who don't want to have anything to do with a GSA and are kind of sick and tired of having rainbows all over everything and the boys who don't want tampons in their bathrooms? I know they're out there. I know you boys are out there. I know that you are. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm calling for real guerrilla action. Like our Boston Tea Party is going to be our kids throwing those tampons in the toilet and flushing it to the clogs that's going to be our revolution right that's how but it starts. seriously that's the only one that has a prayer of working in the short term right. is if they become ungovernable within the system if the teachers realize <clears throat> that the kids are not these little lumps of clay that they can just manipulate into their way of thinking if the kids fight back remember the teacher in utah this was a little less than a year ago the teacher showed up and she started calling their parents stupid. And she said, if you don't believe in the masks and the vaccines and global warming, and like, you're stupid. I mean, this teacher was doing what we know a lot of teachers do in the class, but these kids pushed back. It wasn't a lot. It was like one or two kids said, you can't say that. That's ridiculous. Why are you saying they were recording the whole thing? Yeah. They recorded the whole them. thing. They brought it to the parents. The parents were righteously you know, indignant as they should have been. And that teacher lost her job. So that's what t kids can do. And if they're going to be putting a student rep, you know, who's a little Maoist on the school board, then you need to have a student rep that goes with you to the school board meetings. You have multiples of them to stand up and speak on behalf of their own education. And if they're willing, let them do it. Hey, I wouldn't say make them. You know, but I'm gonna, this is going to be my, my appeal to the, Students of America, I, Frank McCormick, invoke my teaching license of the state of Illinois and tell you when your woke teacher begins indoctrinating you, misbehave to your heart's content, become ungovernable. <laughs> and the worst that's going to happen is you're going to get some restorative justice. They'll put you in a peace circle and right. you just keep disrupting that too. Even if they suspend you, what's going to happen if you have a whole bunch of students who, are, who start getting, if their suspension number climbs, remember they got, they're rated mm. on their suspension scores. If you get suspended, what's the worst? You're not in class, you're at home reading books or playing video games. You get suspended for being, you know, standing up for freedom of speech. For example, if you just disagree, if you say, can I read some Thomas Sowell? I know it's Black History Month and everything. I want to read Thomas Sowell. I don't want to read this guy. You know, this guy was a communist. Did you guys know that this guy was an unrepentant communist? Did you know that this person was wanted by the police for killing police? Did you know that she's still a wanted felon? Like, <laughs> if you guys te teach your kids something separate on the outside, I've done that. I've told my kids, like, we're learning about Cesar Chavez. And I'm like, oh, are you? 
do you know much about Cesar Chavez? Oh, let's have a chat about that. You know, so we have like a whole separate conversation about that. And then the kids are like, they didn't tell us any of that. I'm like, oh, that's fine. Oh, you're learning about, you know, what's her name? Uh, Angela, uh, uh, brain fart, you know, um, uh, right. the, the, you know, the one. Okay. Angela Davis. Thank you. So you're learning about Angela Davis. You guys are learning about what a great, amazing, did you know this? Did you know that? Did you know? And then we tell like the truth and they're like, why are they teaching us about this person? So sometimes it just takes you being the one to awaken them to the reality of these people, but you got to be in the know. You have to know what they're being taught and your kids are not likely to come home and tell you. Right. Exactly. They don't know that they need to. They're not, they're half paying attention as it is. We need, you know what? We need some, um, some of these disruptors. I'm going to play the race card. I really want to see Hispanic and black students do it. I will fly out to a school district if they do this and get suspended. And I will stand at the school board meeting and say this disproportionality in suspension rates is systemic racism in your schools. It's unacceptable. Let's Absolutely. that's what we need to do. We need to start using their weapons against them. 100%. We need to hundred We need to one up them. We need to get smarter. Let's that's, let's what, that's of, what I'm saying. You know, that's it's like um, it's cannot... like in uh, Bugs Bunny when he when he points the Elmer Fudd points the gun and Bugs Bunny turns it around and shoots him in the face. That's what we need to do when they point the gun at us. When you're Whoop. yeah, like teacher, you said that this lesson was culturally relevant because of my culture. How do you know what my culture is? Right. I'm offended. You have microaggressed against me because you've assumed <laughs> that, uh, that, 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 that. Like, can you imagine? It's just like this woman. She goes, I don't know. Should I start calling him Rock and Banana? <laughs> and the rest of us on the internet are like, yes, honey, you should. You absolutely should start calling him. Well, Rock over here. <laughs> like, we, 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 will, we will break their brains. And, you know, look, these these people are, are, are mentally fragile anyway. I mean, they need safe spaces and they need personal pronouns. So they're going to be pretty, you know, maybe I'm starting to feel a little more confident about this. We can win. We can we can mentally break these people like uh, like it's like a in the sci-fi movies in the fifties the robot you feed it you say do everything I say destroy yourself I can't do you know and I, I think it's going to be required if if you are a member of an organization whichever parent organization you either align with or are a member of or you know find a group of friends I don't care just like Frank said you know the the watchdogs of District you know ninety eight and it should be required viewing to watch Matt Walsh's What is a Woman. Yeah. Not even just for the content of the movie, although it's fantastic, but that methodology, what he did, and I've said this now on like four or five videos running, what he did is showing us the way. He's showing us the way. Watch him sit and talk to the college professor in particular in this movie. The guy's like, I, I, I think we may have to end this. We may have to end this uh, recording. We may have to end this video because... Um, I don't like your tone. You're being aggressive. But he wasn't. He's like, no, I'm just, I came here for an answer to this question. Well, I mean, I don't think, and it was like just seeing the guys like flailing and not knowing an answer. And that happened to two or three of the people. And he was politely just sitting there calmly, dispassionately saying, I don't, but you're the person who knows you're the expert. I don't, what? I don't know. Well, it was like very, very early on when I started speaking out, I was on the radio with uh, Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson. They're well known in the Chicago area. And they said, are you, are you in the union? What are you doing? I said, yeah, I think I may, you know, leave the union, resign and protest. And Dan Proft goes, oh, Frank, Frank, don't, don't, don't. 
no, no, stay in there. Make them represent you. Make them fight. And I did. And it was hilarious because like the, I'd be like replying to them, like, I'm still waiting for an email about my representation on this issue. And they're like, ah, like they legally are bound to. Uh, yep. Exactly. That's, I would yep. say just use as long as this stupid system exists. And if you're a parent who's going to use it. Okay. So if you've made that decision that like, we can't pull out, we got to use the system, use the freaking system. Like, I mean, go full bore yet. Every little thing, like I need to file a grievance that my teacher is making me feel unsafe and uncomfortable. And I don't feel like I belong in the classroom and it's supposed to be a welcoming and inclusive environment, but my views are not respected. And I'm <laughs> just having a moment. I can't do it. You know, like, I mean, whatever you have to do to break their brains, use their systems. Don't go in there all gangbusters like, you're yeah, call me not, you know, indoctrinating my child. You know, right, they'll be like, right. whatever, boomer, get out, right? They, they call Gen Xers boomers too. They actually think that Gen Xers are boomers. They can't oh, wow. do math. But anyhow, no, you have to go in like <laughs> them. You have to go in and just be like, it's, the student has to do it. I need to see the counselor. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a moment. And then you go and you tell them you feel so excluded that you're just, I'm cis. This, you know, we're, we're onto a great idea. I mean, this is just, this is a great idea. We're going to end up on, you know, some lists for having this conversation. <laughs> more, like, more lists, I'll say. Yeah, right. Someone actually, this, this guy, um, I got a message from his friend. Yeah, I, I can't verify it, but he's, he's like one of those motivational speakers. I asked a question or something on it, just like a question about, because he was talking about, reaching his black students and i said you know why are you targeting kids based on race why not target them based on need some of my facebook followers jumped in well his friend messages me and says just to let you know we've reported you to the justice department for domestic terrorism what oh, okay. <laughs> tell, tell my wife i'm like hey next vacation i guess we'll be driving because i'll probably be on a no-fly list oh my god i know isn't that crazy but i, I mean but i i wanted to be like against them you got to flood, flood them with complaints, flood them with, you know, the, the whole, I, I, this is a diversity violation and my child feels very unwelcome and not included. And I was told that you guys were teaching empathy. This is not empathy because my child is hetero. My, my grandfather not had that idea. This was back. <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, he says, we all need to pick up the phone and have these conversations and say, pipe bomb, president, capital just start using these keywords that'll pick up on like, like break their system, which by the way, by saying those, he's, they, you know, he's kidding. YouTube. He's kidding. Hello. They're probably still going to flag it. Watch. Um, but anyway, Oh yeah. So this is a great idea. Whatever. The bottom line point again is support the people you can support, use their own language to fight back against them. We can't, they've already won. So like kind of, wrap your brain around that they've won. We're not going to win, but we can do what Americans have done, what we did in the revolutionary war. What we've done always so very well is just think outside the box, you know, and use that disproportionate, uh, you know, level of ingenuity and, um, and grit and all the things that make Americans Americans and use it against them. Use their yeah, own the, rhetoric the, against the founding them. fathers were insurgents. Uh, we are, yep. uh, the insurgents of wokedom. Let's embrace it. Yep, exactly. Well, Frank, I can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for catching yeah, us up for on what me. you've been doing it. And thank you for 
everything you have done because it's a lot. So well, thank you too, Deb. Always a pleasure. You're very, very welcome. All right, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>